Welcome to the Parenting Well podcast with Parent Engagement Network. I'm Dr. Shelley Mann, your host, and today you're listening to Parenting Well, where we know that parenting well is challenging and that all parents are the best parents they know how to be. We firmly believe that the foundation for raising healthy, happy youth is for us as parents to fill our own well with useful, reliable, credible information, tools, and strategies. Having that well of resources leaves us more engaged, educated, and empowered to support our children in being strong, resourceful, confident, and resilient in the face of life's many challenges and adventures. So let's fill that well. Today's well source is Kim Bevel. Kim is a speaker, author, and teacher. After spending 14 years teaching high school history and IB psychology, she felt a calling to understand and improve health and wellness. She's conducted massive amounts of research on the brain and productivity and how they can be used to heal your life. Recently, she released a book called Top 10 Things, which gives you the neuroscience that supports behaviors that are key to excellence, academics, and athletics. She also holds interactive hands-on classes around subjects like stress, happiness, and mental health, and her clients consistently report feeling a new passion, purpose, and inspiration to new endeavors. So welcome, Kim. Thank you. I'm excited to be a part of this. I love the work you do. Oh, thank you so much. So you have worked with parents and even professionals who have interacted with you through the school system. Um, And I'm curious what you would say it was like to interact with parents and what you found parents really needed in that setting. Oh, you know, my favorite was back to school night. And the only thing I loved even more was conferences where these adorable parents would sit across from me with their big eyes and say, "Um, how is my child doing? And they would ask, what do I do? How do I, you know, when their students were doing really well, that was easy. But when their students weren't doing well, they had those same sad eyes and would say, what do I do? What do I do? Give me anything. I have nothing. I don't know where to go. And I, of course, wanted to give them a hug and say, you have much more power than you realize. And the smallest things will change your life, change their life. When I would get that golden interaction with them, I thought, keep it real because everybody wants to overthink things. And in reality, nobody ever wants to be told what to do. So for a parent, my first thought would be, don't ever tell them what to do. You, you think around that because you're going to get that pushback, which, you know, all of us understand that by the time they're three, that you're going to get that pushback. So what I'm, what I'm suggesting is you have to be covert and you have to think around the obvious and not reverse psychology so much worse than that. What I'm saying is there are ways that we can influence them. It starts with our students, our children, they have to feel good. And if your kids don't feel good, weird things come out of them at school, like a smart mouth or not paying attention. And today it's so easy not to pay attention. They have so many devices and so many other 
influences that can come in and, and take them off task. And instead of seeing it simply as they don't feel good because they're tired or they don't feel good because they may have gone to bed, but they woke up not feeling rested or they don't feel good because they're hungry or or they're in a situation where they're nervous or stressed about something they don't realize. And right now, um, what I hear from teachers over and over and over is, oh, my students, they have so much anxiety. Oh, my student, I, I might have only ever had one student ever confess something like anxiety, but today the anxiety is palpable and they don't feel good, but they don't know they don't feel good. And another word for the way you feel is, what's your chemistry? What's going on with your hormones? What's going on with your neurochemistry? I believe that when parents are looking for, what do I do? I like oversimplifying things. And I would say, if I could wave a, wave a, a magic wand, I would give you one thing. And I would give you the power over artificial light. Now, going back to that thing I said about influencing their behavior without them knowing it, one of the things I believe poses the greatest risk today to our society and to people of all ages, not just our children, but especially our children, is the role of artificial light. I've been researching stress for about 20 years. One of the things that we know now, and not even just from neuroscience, but from microbiology, is that when we are under stress or when we are thinking about what's going on in our world or when there's something happening that makes us feel nervous or stressed, that what happens is we literally change our DNA. That living in a world of stress means that we're impacting our DNA and that impacts our behavior. So who would ever think that things that happen around us that we don't even necessarily see as a stressor would suddenly begin impacting our DNA, which changes our behavior and does something as horrific as increase your chances of having an accident, increases our chances that we're going to get into an argument. Things that we would never perceive around us that actually accelerate our physiology, accelerate our DNA to a point that now it comes out in behaviors that you think, how could those two things be connected? And what I would give to parents is if I could only give you one gift, it would be living in a home where when the lights go down, that we don't turn on artificial light and artificial light is as simple as, yeah, the lights on in your room, the lights on in the home, the very intense light that comes from a electronic device, like a computer or a cell phone. What we know about artificial light, what we know about cell phones, what we know about looking into a computer screen or even a bright light from the television is that it lowers our melatonin. Now, let me do a quick reminder. Everybody knows the term melatonin somewhere in the 80s, we all got excited and said, oh, if you start taking melatonin, it will help you sleep at night which was true for people who had a low level of melatonin, but for people who had other reasons for disturbed sleep, it didn't necessarily work, which takes me to why you care about melatonin. I was doing the finishing touches on my chapter on memory when I about fell off my chair because I found a study which was done with people who had pancreatic cancer. Now, pancreatic cancer is a horribly aggressive and devastating disease. And what they did was, 
they wanted to see what happened for people with pancreatic cancer. They needed a lot of blood transfusions. So people with pancreatic cancer have to have blood transfusions and they decided they would administer the blood transfusion like they always do. But in a experiment, they said, let's see what happens if we uh, share blood from people who donated their blood in complete and total darkness. Fast forward, the people who donated in complete and total darkness, the pancreatic patients who received that, they didn't have any additional growth in tumors. No additional growth in tumors for one of the most aggressive forms of cancer. What that means is the increase in melatonin turns out to be what doctors, what scientists are considering to be the greatest antioxidant known to man. Now, let's go back to what that means for us, what that means for our lives personally. Your indicator of health and wellness, your health and wellness measure is your inflammation. It's not just physically your inflammation. Um, Harvard, about 10 years ago, released that all inflammation throughout your body, throughout your brain was your indicator of your health and wellness. And that included mental health, that people who had bipolar disorder had higher levels of inflammation, not just in their brain, but in their body. It turns out our mind and body really truly are connected. What we think affects our brain and body. What happens in our body affects our brain. And what we know is inflammation is devastating. That's our marker. Inflammation is rheumatoid arthritis. Inflammation is heart disease. Inflammation is mental health and wellness. So if what we now know because of worldwide realizations about what happens to a high level of melatonin in your blood, if what we know is your melatonin is that thing that controls your inflammation, the next question is, well, how do I increase my melatonin? Yes, exactly. Because with high levels of stress, we're inflamed. With high levels of, oh no, what's next in life? You're inflamed. People with a high level of anxiety, they're inflamed. As we get older, you will feel where those kinks are. Your inflammation will tell you. This is our indication throughout our life, your level of inflammation. To what extent are you healthy? So certain things cause us to inflame stress being huge sugar coming in as a close second eating refined sugar is one of the fastest if not the fastest way to inflame your body and my reminder to parents on that note is you always have to remember to take care of yourself first if you lose the fight for balance your kids are going with you and if you ever notice you're going through a hard time or a stressful time, how come you guys have to act like this right now? I'm totally stressed out. It's because we're all feeding on each other. So keeping your stress down, keeping your balance through your diet and your sleep at night, that is first and foremost. So you getting yourself together is key. And you remembering you're the most important part of your home. It's so easy for parents to put their kids first, but don't you fall for it. <laughs> right? Back to why melatonin. That's what seems to undo this crazy thing that life seems to do to us. Being under stress is going to accelerate the aging of our DNA. Horrifying thing to say out loud. This is what Blackburn found in her landmark study that she announced in 2006. For one year, they looked at the DNA in highly stressed individual. The most stressed individual they could find was a parent of a child 
with chronic needs that that was their control. What they did was they measured the length of their DNA. Now, why do you care about the length of your DNA? Because when you're born, you have long DNA as you age, your DNA shrinks. That's just how we work. As we get older, every time you replicate, your DNA is a little bit shorter than it was before it replicated. The more stress you have, the more it replicates. What they found was nothing like a 12 month time span of aging. What they found was they accelerated the aging anywhere from seven to 17 years. Wow. And that a stressful time frame, that a time span uh, following a stressor artificially accelerated your aging and that it could continue for as much as five years following the trauma. So where we are right now with the pandemic is we are two years into a different world, a different community. And even for people who didn't lose their job, even for people who didn't have a family member who was sick, even for, oh, what is it? Uh, 800,000 people in this country who lost a loved one because they lost their lives, that those people definitely are looking at an impact to their DNA. Your DNA has telomeres at the ends of your chromosomes and those telomeres protect our, our aging and keeping our stress down allows us to age like we're supposed to. But after a trauma, even if it's not a personal trauma like this pandemic, we perceive it in such a way that is a stressor. Some wonderful, wonderful information. What you've shared is that we have a responsibility as parents to create a home and a safe environment where we can support the things that are going to be helpful. You've already started talking about stress and anxiety, but you're speaking at our upcoming conference. We are in this incredibly stressful place. And what you just left us with is that even if it isn't a major life trauma, You've been impacted by what's happened in the world in some way, everyone has. How do we, how do we level set? How do we get to a place where we live in an environment where people have the skills and the ability to talk about these things so that they aren't so impacted, but physically and in their mental health by these things that are happening around us? Oh, Yeah. Well, I would say that goes back to the sleep, the, the impact that parents can have on their children without saying, like I said, nobody wants to be told what to do. So a parent's greatest, in my mind, a parent's greatest assistant is that when you get into the world that they care about, even saying 30 minutes before bedtime, we begin the preparation of, we're going to do a bedtime routine. I taught high school. And I was in, I don't know, it was a group with my seniors. So you usually think of them as being pretty grown up and pretty cool. And so my 17 and 18 year olds would really hone into my conversation about when I would put my daughter to bed at night and what our bedtime routine was. And their favorite part wasn't the music that I turned on, which of course I did. And it wasn't that we went and got all the special things that she went to bed with, you know, that whole routine that we did. But what they loved was that her bedtime routine was she had a back rub. I just talked to a client of mine a couple of days ago. She said, you know, I had three boys. And after I took your class, I literally left class at three o'clock and went home, did back rubs with all three of my boys. One of the things that neuroscience tells us about males is when a male is under stress, 
his brain responds very different than a female brain. A male brain wants to not talk and to be alone. So if he's under stress, if he's feeling anxiety, I don't care what age he is, his report is, I want to be by myself. I want my mom to just leave me alone because for males, if he's not making eye contact, he seems to talk. Try this one. What happened today? Shelly Taylor Bell at UCLA asked the question of more than 2000 people. The question was, what do you look for in a friend? Males bar none. Number one question. Number one answer was, I want to do something. If what we know is males want to do, males want activity, and they seem to be designed for that. Their DNA seems to say, I got to get moving. I got to get doing. There's no way around it. But if we are under stress, getting up and getting moving is the beginning. We can't navigate our brain. We can't manage hormones or neurotransmitters if we're not up and we're not doing. That's one of the five things that seem to be essential to protect the human brain from depression. First is we have to have darkness. The second is we have to have food. The third is activity. Because what the neuroscience tells us is when you talk, just speaking, my talking right now to Dr. Mayan, you increase dopamine in your left hemisphere. Dopamine is that neurotransmitter or neuromodulator that runs our executive function, allows our executive function, allows our highest levels of thinking, processing, talking, decision-making, innovation, my ability to hold back my impulses. People who have, you know, over time called it attention deficits or ADD or ADHD, they have a low level of dopamine because they have a low level of blood flow. You ready for this? Here's your strategy. Talking increases that chemical. Trust me when I say this, you want to protect the balance of their chemistry because once they've lost it, that's a whole different game. Protecting that balance is the quality of life. Here's what Blackburn found. She went back in. I think she won the Nobel Peace Prize for what I'm going to tell you. But she found that after one year, highly stressed people who did these three things showed virtually no change to their DNA. Number one, people who slept eight hours a night, also known as melatonin. Staring into a phone depletes our melatonin. And right now, scientists are estimating we need about four or five or more hours of dark for that melatonin to increase so that we can sleep peacefully through the night. I'm going to give you the easy solution. Then I'm going to give you a hard solution. First easy solution is blue light blocking glasses. I have plenty of studies that say blue light blocking glasses really do allow your brain to produce its melatonin. But the second and the hardest one is my favorite. If you now organize like fun and games and dinner and things at night that involve the darkness to maintain their chemistry. Second thing they found is antioxidants. Antioxidants in the form of fruits and vegetables. People in the study who ate fruits and vegetables at least five times a week didn't have the same damage and wear and tear to their telomeres or their ends of their chromosomes and their DNA. So that's real fruits and vegetables because antioxidants seem to clean out the toxins of life. So despite the fact that they've got a stressful year that they can't get away from having sleep eight hours 
allow that melatonin, which is a highly powerful antioxidant, that fruits and vegetables are also antioxidants, actually undo the damage of life's trauma. The third is my favorite, physical activity, but not just any physical activity. What they found was people who played three times a week for 42 minutes. And when the play integrated, you have to have an increased your heart rate and your respiration, increasing the heart rate and respiration so that they had to recover from heart rate and inspiration. That at the end of a year of trauma, play. That's interesting. Did you see anything in your research about meditation? There are so many. There's a mountain of studies that show that, mind you, Blackburn only looked at those three things. So she's not saying those are the only three things. Those are three of, and I think I have research to support over 160 of them. One is all mindful activities will regrow your telomeres. So yes to meditation. Another type of mindful activity is yoga regrows those telomeres. Another type of mindful activity would be present time or breathing. Or um, I love the 10 minutes in the morning and at night. And I will always tell people more meditating is better. It's just that even eight minutes a day over six weeks, Dr. Susan Lazar has research going back to 2005 that shows that after six weeks of meditating for only 10 minutes a day, at six weeks, these people who meditated had shrunk their amygdala. Your amygdala, your fight or flight, that we used to think of it as fight or flight. Today, we think of it as uh, anything emotional. So if something's disgusting, if somebody walks in and throws up on your desk, your amygdala is going to fire. Well, what we also know is any perception of stress will cause that amygdala to respond, right? Daniel Siegel does the research. I think he was the very first neuroscientist I found out of UCLA. And now he has his own, his own work and research where he found that the moment a human being changes their focus from, let's say you're sitting in a classroom and a teacher is asking a question you don't know the answer to. The moment your child changes their focus from what's happening in their environment to their breathing in and focuses on breathing in instead of on, is that teacher gonna call on me? And focuses their attention on breathing out that what we do is lower our norepinephrine level. You lower your stress level, increases your serotonin. Today, we know it increases our endogenous opioids. Those endogenous opioids, if they drop because of a stressor, triggers us to go look for something to reassure ourselves. So the more we train ourselves, that's one of the four, that's of the five things you have to have to keep your health and wellness. Mindful activities. I happen to think that meditation is the granddaddy of all methods to regrow your telomeres, but how amazing that Lazar has the research that says in six weeks, you shrink your amygdala. That's so great. Getting back to what you said about the five things that are important for positive mental health. Yes. You've now mentioned the fourth, which is meditation. What's the fifth? Okay. So the very first was getting your sleep and understanding the role of light and bright light. The second is food, eating natural, eating healthy, eating anything that's not processed because refined sugar is a trigger and it is a culprit to mental health. And I think that's when I said anxiety, depression, and suicidation 
it increases their chances by 34%. In particular for males, the male brain seems to be less likely to process refined sugar. It will trigger illness for males. Mm. The number three was physical activity. The three physical activities that regrow telomeres. The number one healthiest thing we can do that regrows our telomeres is play, right? Whatever our form of play. And anyone who is 40 or 50 and you're thinking, well, yeah, I don't play anymore. Um, well, it, it's time to rethink that and, and be clever and go back to what you loved to do when you were a kid. Also in coming up with places where you can figure out how to integrate play in your life and in your home, um, think about rec centers. Rec centers are really clever on, you know, there's a kickball group now or, or playing badminton now. I mean, it, so be the, the sky's the limit. Search for fun play activities anywhere you can find that. Think competition. And when you think about the winner, winning and losing is incredibly motivating, especially for males. Females aren't as motivated by competition. Females are more likely to say, no, why can't we all just play and have fun? But competition for a female brain is incredibly beneficial. And the reason is, is because neuroscience tells us that under a little bit of stress, males increase their performance and females decrease her performance. Cyan Bellick at University of Chicago, she tells us that to help a female perform better under competition is to have her perform under competition. So may increase her stress a little bit, but the more she does it, the better she'll get, which you want because she is going to have to take standardized tests under pressure. She's going to have to answer questions in the conference room under pressure. Exercise and activity for fitness and the name of fitness is number two. Although I'm putting it as number two, not because I think it's more effective than the third I'm going to give you. The third is complex movement, meaning you have to focus and pay attention. Complex activity, meaning walking on a balance beam, an obstacle course, a, a ropes course, or, or even playing musical instruments. I, I found one this weekend, which was about playing drums as a group. I thought, beautiful. It's a great idea. Complex movement increases your blood flow in your frontal cortex, increases the connectivity between your left and right hemisphere, your corpus callosum. A thicker corpus callosum has a huge amount of research behind it on the topic of innovation. The more innovative you are, the larger the structure of your brain. The larger the structure of your brain, the higher your intelligence or your ability to solve problems you've never seen before. All of that through a physical activity known as complex moves. So number four, organized sports is wonderful, except the stress that comes with it seems to counteract the healthy aspects for mental health. I don't want to let down my coach. My coach wants me to do that. My teammates want me to do that. The parents watching are mad at me because I didn't make it. So the stress that comes with it seems to counteract the benefits. So in keeping in mind with what we seem to have as autonomy, we need to say, I'm the one who is choosing to do this. I have to feel pretty good at it. So that's number three, that's physical activity. Number four of the five things for mental health is training ourselves to live in present time. Those are mindfulness activities. The most simple being the one that I'm clearly so indebted to Dan Siegel, the great neuroscientist who said one of his first studies was, I want to know what happens when your brain, when you change your attention to breathing in 
and breathing out. It was such a fast reset to our stress level that which one of us can't train our families or ourselves that when things go wrong, blow out all of your air. Blowing out all of your air forces you to focus on the breathing in. And what he showed us was it lowers your norepinephrine. Bringing in that next breath lowers your stress cortisol, your stress hormones, increases the endogenous opioids that allow us to get back to center. And that what we know is should we do something like use this focus on our breathing, use this practice of, of coming back to present. Don't worry about what's about to happen. Don't worry about things you've done wrong before. We don't have to live in that world of what if. You come back to your present time. And that Lazar shows us that after only six weeks of 10 minutes of meditating, where, for example, you may begin with focusing on your breathing, that it actually shrinks the structure in our brain called the amygdala actually shrinks that st structure down because people who have anxiety and panic attacks have an enlarged amygdala. If I could wave my magic wand, every single school, every single classroom would begin every Monday with 10 minutes of focusing on the present. That in six weeks, you have something medication can't handle and that we're including everybody. Everyone is going to be a part of focusing on the present. And the side effect of focusing on the present isn't just lower levels of anxiety. It's an increase in memory. Training your attention increases working memory. And working memory is implicated in 50 to 70% of our IQ, of our intelligence, of our ability to problem solve. Okay, you ready for number five? Yes. It's purpose. Any human being who has a sense of purpose can get out of bed every day with motivation. Mm. Any human being who has a feeling that if I don't go there, it matters. If I'm not a part of it, if I, if my presence matters, we have the chemistry, which is why, by the way, most people already know that the first year following retirement is where we have the greatest rates of depression, that grandparents live the longest, healthiest life when they babysit their children, their grandchildren, when they are a part of their, I have to take care of the kids, that I have purpose here, that when we lose that purpose, we lose our physiology. And it's not just as we get older, the feeling of purpose is inc incredibly important because without it, our motivation goes away. I also want to call attention to, I don't know, um, have you seen, Shelly, the documentary, The Weight of Gold? I have not seen that. It's a 60-minute documentary. I think uh, HBO did it. I don't know how I stumbled across it, but it was a weird thing. I was training on the five things for mental health, because like I said, you do not want to spot a sign. I just walked over and clicked on my television, which is out of the ordinary for me. And it was just beginning. It's the story of what happens to our Olympians after they step off of the podium. And it began with Michael Phelps. And Michael Phelps was talking about his whole entire life was about being an athlete. His whole entire life was about winning the gold. And then the day after what happens is he loses all of that chemistry. Remember what I was saying? You know, you have to have your endogenous opioids. You have to have the right amounts or, or we slip into this, this bizarre place of what 
what am I doing here anyway, where he then turned to alcohol. And it's about every single, at least 15 to 20 of our Olympians, the greatest of great. Those are our real world Avengers. Mm. And that's one of the things I, I ask parents, if you could begin thinking about that every day, we as parents are here to train our children that these are the five things we have to have where we all have to maintain something important to make sure we still feel good. I say, please use the Avenger movies. Please use the, Mar mm -hmm. use the Marvel movies because each one of those superheroes has their Achilles heel. Um, that Iron Man had his weaknesses. Iron Man, I think he began in the cave where he had to make sure his heart was recharged. Let's make sure that we get around the, the stigma of mental illness and the stigma of mental health by calling it energy. And mm -hmm. that without these five things, we just don't have energy. And that's everybody. It's not the one kid sitting in the corner. That's all of us. And to use the Avengers, their favorite Avengers, that you know, Iron Man had to make sure that heart was charged, that Thor had to have his hammer or so he thought, but, but virtually every single character, every single superhero, they have bouts with character. And if our kids are going to watch them anyway, right? What a, what a simple way of saying, look, even the Avengers, even those superheroes had to have their, their energy charged. And that's what mental health is. Because when we say, oh, it's depression, oh, it's an anxiety, oh, it's a depression on this, or, or we want to prevent suicide. No, 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 no. We don't live there. This is everyone with a brain has to understand that we have to keep our battery charged. And this is very near and dear my heart because I lost my nephew to suicide about two years ago and fell face first into all of the neuroscience of why couldn't we talk him out of it? We had four hints. He, he tried to do it three times and there was nothing we could do. And all I could think was if we could have reversed a bit and understood that complete and total darkness at night allows his physiology and chemistry to withstand life so that he didn't turn towards the alcohol or for others vaping or for others eating too much or drinking too much. And, and we know that, you know, affairs, we have to take over what we focus on. No more allowing ourselves to be hijacked, but that we're in charge of what I think about, what I allow into my brain. Understanding purpose is key. And if our children are getting up every day, but they don't feel a purpose, a purpose, making, building, creating, Kelly Lambert, who's a neuroscientist in Pennsylvania, you know, she's researching mental health and she wants to know why is it that an antidepressant only helps half the people who are depressed? Well, an MRI shows the moment we begin working on a project with your hands, the moment you're going to problem solve or make, build and create, you increase that blood flow in the prefrontal cortex and then increase that double, the sense of purpose. 
comes back. Purpose is one of the biggest factors that is shown in the research to contribute to a person's day-to-day happiness. How do we show up for our kids? How do we interact with them in a way that provides an environment that allows them to have these things, these five things that you're mentioning? And what is our responsibility as as parents or, or people in their lives to provide that context for them? I'd like to close today with a question that I ask every person I interview, which is, um, how do we show up for young people? Oh, I, I love the idea of doing the experience. Let's go do setting up some kind of an event. Look and see what is it that you're interested in and go find something where you can go do it. That then allows you to talk. That allows you to have specific examples of I like this. I I don't love that. What's happening in your world so that there's action and activity. Mm. I think. Yeah. And with that, we're creating memories, right? We're creating memories that we get to take with us and talk about later. (laughs) Yes. And the more we are able to get into the real world and out of a virtual world, because we've accidentally in two years gone very virtual and we just don't have a virtual brain. We have a real brain. Awesome. Well, how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more about what you do, or they would like to sign up for some of your classes, read your book? What can people do to get in touch with you? Oh, I would invite you to come to my website. It's just my name, www.kimbevel.com. And my email is there. You can email me. My phone number is there. You can call me and ask me a question. I'd be happy to answer, discuss, give you whatever the research is, give you strategies. And anyone who, who wants to be a part of what I do or read what I do, I would love it. So call me, come to my website. I'd love to meet you. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I'll make sure that I include that information in our show notes, um, along with a lot of the amazing research tips that you gave and other sources that you can share with, with the people who are listening today. So I appreciate your time and all the great things you had to share. Oh, thank you. I appreciate your work truly. And look out for Kim at our upcoming stress and anxiety conference, which uh, we're coming up on. um, We've been doing this for a number of years and it has been something that has evolved and been such a wonderful resource for people, not just in our community, but since we're doing it virtually, you know, anywhere that you're listening, you can attend this. So as we talk about the (laughs) turning to virtual, there's the plus and the minus, right? (laughs) Before we go, I do want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, the Hope Coalition of Boulder County, Zia Consulting, Premier Members Credit Union, and the Sartell Bliss at Coldwell Bankers. Um, They've been huge supporters for the Parent Engagement Network for a number of years, and we are so thankful for their support. Also, please check out our website, which is www.penbv.org. Here you will find all of our upcoming events, including the virtual stress and anxiety conference that's coming up. That is on July, I'm sorry, that is on January 29th and 30th. And if you are inspired by today's conversation and the work we do here at Penn, there's also options on our website to sign up as a donor, to make a one-time donation, or to even become a sponsor of our work. So we hope that today's conversation has been valuable and that the information and resources you've gotten today have filled your parenting well. Until next time, happy parenting.